welcome to Incorruptible Mass. We are here to help you and all of us transform state politics. Uh, we talk a lot about how it's broken, what we can do to fix it, and how you can get involved. We know we can make a better Massachusetts if we all work together. Today, we are going to talk about the Senate tax package and the Senate budget, but mostly the tax package. Um, in that tax package, which we, we believe is a little better than the House uh, or Healy's package, we're going to talk a little bit about um, short-term capital gains, cutting real estate tax. We'll talk about um, increasing the statewide cap for HDIP, as well as the earning credits, uh, and uh, also a few things that we think are really unimportant that got in there. Um, and we'll also talk a little bit about the fact that nobody is really talking about the budget in full and analyzing that. And why is it that with a state as large as Massachusetts, there's really no discussion of this budget that's coming out of the Senate. Um, so before we go on, let me introduce my inimitable co-hosts and I will start with uh, Jonathan Cohn. Uh, Jonathan Cohn, he him his, joining from uh, the great city of Boston, uh, Massachusetts, and have been an active activist on kind of issue, progressive issue and electoral work uh, in Massachusetts for coming on a decade. And Jordan. Uh, Jordan Berg Powers, he him uh, his, and I am coming from Worcester, Massachusetts, which is the unceded land of the Nipmuc people, and also the uh, place where we now send people not only are we the home of gentrification, we're now the home of the person who helped kick that off to uh, run our housing policy. <laughs> I am Anna Callahan, she, her, coming at you from Medford and, uh, you know, been super involved in local politics for many years and uh, state politics for the last few years as well. Um, super interested in it and, uh, and very interested in talking about this budget. Hey, nobody talks about the budget that's coming out of the Senate. We're going to have to, as a state, we're going to have to merge the House, the Senate, and the governor's tax packages. Um, and because our state does not follow, um, does not have um, public records law for our state uh, government, that means we have no way of knowing what the heck is in any of these packages, right? So we have to rely on crazy outside sources. Um, we have to rely on people's, you know, press releases and Twitter so, feeds. Yes, Jonathan. So, you can see what's in it, but a lot of legislation is just not user-friendly in its language, which mm. I think is the thing. And is not really designed to be that there are some other states where they actually will provide lay summaries of what the legislation that they have to say that like, if we're doing all of this, here is actually something that you might be able to read beyond the technical language. So that if you see something like a budget, most people can't understand that. Most people don't understand what line, like line item, like string of code uh, really means in practice, as well as how it possibly changed from the prior year. Yes. And that I think is crucial is understanding what, who discussed what, who proposed which, yeah. you know, changes to it. Um, you know, so much of this happens in these closed, behind closed doors, backroom deals. Um, and there's no way for us to know because our yeah. uh, legislature is not under public records law. Um, so let's have a little bit of an overview. We'll talk mostly about the tax package. Um, can we, maybe Jonathan, if you would be willing to, actually either of you, if you want to talk a little bit, first of all, about what we were unhappy with in um, the governor's and the house tax package, especially given that we just voted for the fair mm -hmm. share amendment and we just voted to increase taxes on millionaires and billionaires. Um, so if you wanna go ahead and dive into that, that would be great. 
I can do a, a few quick things and then Jordan tag in if, if, I, if I'm missing anything here. So the, a few of the main problems coming out of both what Healy was, was trying to do and what the House had done, both with regard to, let's say, some regressiveness of the package and size of the package uh, of the main things is one, if voters, as people remember, including, let's say, shout out to all of the listeners who voted last year for a question for a question one. And volunteered. Exactly. Uh, which created an additional tax on income over a million dollars to create dedicated funding for public education and transportation. Uh, for the first year, that's out been like a, basically like a trust fund of like a billion dollars appropriated for that, that they're out, that Healy proposed an allocation for, that the House and the Senate proposed an allocation for. And then Healy and the House proposed a tax cut of a billion dollars. So like right as you're saying that we're raising a billion new dollars, you're saying well, we're also cutting a billion new dollars because all tax cuts are also spending cuts if the state is not increasing the total. Uh, is not, let's say, for, like it has the that money is coming from somewhere. That like it's money that could have been spent. That's cool. So based on that, it's just... It is a deeply problematic framework that they're literally saying where we got you this a billion dollars of like we work to get this billion dollars of new money and they're cutting a billion dollars in taxes. And from the wealthy primarily through, you know, yeah, a few a few exactly. different and, things that yeah. and that like they were both disproportionately skewed, disproportionately skewed to upper incomes with large cuts to the estate tax. Yeah. Um, which the state tax is state like the people who pay estate taxes are dead. Uh, and well, they, and they own property, and they own property. Exactly, they own property. That like that you should be so lucky if your estate mm. is large enough to qualify for that because it's it's almost let's say of a an important thing to like take a step back and realize how, the privilege of qualifying for the estate tax in the first place of having that much in your estate, uh, as well as both the house and the governor had wanted to cut the short-term capital gains tax. So that's for day traders and real estate speculators uh, who are struggling and need, and need a tax cut. <laughs> uh, as well as the house had wanted to give a tax cut for companies that are based in Massachusetts and do business elsewhere to just like throw some extra money at them. Mm. Uh, that Healy hadn't proposed. So both of those, it's like just fundamentally bad fiscal policy to just be spending all that money away, especially on rich people and corporations. When we're at a time where like, given how much of a mess the federal government seems mm. to be, I wouldn't want to be doing things that put me on bad footing if I have to, like if Massachusetts has to backstop. Uh, certain programs, knowing that the federal government is already retrenching on things like Medicaid, which like people who aren't qualifying anymore for Medicaid because of federal changes, uh, or let's say federal retrenchment from various programs might need Massachusetts needs to put up more. So suddenly just cutting, like cutting out money is, is a risky proposition. Absolutely. Uh, Jordan, anything else that you'd want to add on that for like scene setting? Yeah, just just that the both the House and the Senate have cut overall our spending. So at a time where um, we are, you know, we have a sort of un, we don't know the future. Um, we're having mm -hmm. roughly, I mean, either a level or a, um, it depends how you figure it out, but basically either a level or a cut in the mm -hmm. actual spending the state is making investments in us, despite us adding $1 billion dollars 
um, that we want. So we wanted to add money to the pot to invest in schools of bridges. And because of the tax cuts and the miss and the sort of in the diff and, and all of these other packages, overall now both the the govern the Democratic governor, the Democratic House, and the Democratic Senate are using Republican austerity politics. Like it's just I I can't understand this. Um, it's really just not what people voted for or want right now. Um, when we have serious problems, when we have serious problems, and so I think that's the that's the only other thing I'd add is just like overall this is going to likely be a cut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and why don't you go uh, continue a little bit and talk about how the Senate package has changed, like not the Senate package, what it has done a little bit better than the House and the governor's package. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I was just making a uh, slideshow for another purpose on this and putting together a table. <laughs> so, and which I will get in front of me for some uh, specific numbers. But say on unfortunate, like one just clear positive, the, the Senate did not make the short-term capital gains tax cut that the House House had done and that Haley had proposed. What was specifically gross about uh, the House, including the cut to the short-term capital gains tax, again, tax for day traders and speculators, is that Baker proposed it and then the House and Senate rejected it last year. <sighs> and then Haley proposed it and the House said, yes. So that it's the same regressive tax cut that it was a bad tax cut when our Republican governor wanted it. But now that our Democratic governor wants it, it's good. And that's just the, that's just like fundamentally bad. Like it, it's just like the worst of the political system. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that in the past, the, the House leadership and Governor Baker did not work together on many things. Exactly. So, you know. It's it's the type of thing that there are so many things that's like bad things that Baker wanted that they were happy to do. And when you finally have like a bad thing and it's like, yes, they were rejecting the bad thing that he wanted, that our Democratic governor asks for the bad thing. And then they're like, yes. The, the um, other oh, I, I quickly, yeah. the other thing I forgot to say overall is um, we didn't even mention the fact that um, Governor Baker did wrongly um, against the law, uh, yeah. you know, whether or not it was malice or not, I, I'm still, I'm still waiting for every person in jail to be asked if they meant to do the crime. Um, <laughs> but malice, malice is always the thing. Like, oh, did it mean to break the law? Oh, well, forget it then. Um, but so the so we owe the federal government 2.5 billion dollars, 2.5 billion dollars that was supposed to come out of our budget mm -hmm. to pay residents their owed money. Instead. The Baker administration used federal dollars to pay MA residents for these programs. What's important about this is that Governor Baker claimed that we triggered 62, uh, mm -hmm. 62F, yeah, 62F yeah. and gave out $2.9 billion in checks. Again, not following the law. That's what he wanted to do. $2.5 billion, right? So just to do quick math, that means that he took money that was owed to the feds and gave it back to mostly rich people illegally. And the media has not covered this. The, the legislature is acting like it, it's not happening. They're still spending like, this, yeah. like that 2.5 billion isn't owed to the federal government. We're going to have to pay that to the federal government. And we are cutting taxes at a time where we have money we don't have. And on top of that, it was clear that he, the gymnastics he went through 
to get to trigger the law so that he could give money back at the very least should require some oversight from our auditor, from our attorney general. Instead, what happens is the political class just sort of uh, closes ranks and says like, oh, this is, you know, I don't know, Baker's popular. So just like, let's not deal with it. But like, that's, this is a serious thing. And so I think you can't, for me, we can't talk about the tax cuts and the Senate package without talking about this $2.5 billion that's going yeah. over for us because mm-hmm. we got to pay for it. And and it's going to come from someplace. It's got to come from someplace. And when you and talk that, about the fair share, that's a billion. When you talk about the, these tax cuts, that's a billion. And compare that to the two and a half billion, we're talking, this yeah. is trouble then, down the road. It's what's also striking to me with, with that when reading about that, like I have trouble not viewing it as intentional on his part because what he did is effectively make it so that the companies that have to pay into unemployment didn't like that it was money that would have been assessed on companies that they didn't have that then didn't need to be assessed on them because he used federal money to cover it and if somebody if suddenly a bunch of corporations aren't paying taxes uh like i'm gonna think that the republican governor intended for that to be yeah yeah like, exactly. i don't see like charlie baker being the type of person like, I don't like Charlie Baker. I don't think he's an idiot. I think if that suddenly a bunch of corporations got a, didn't have yeah. to pay $2.5 billion in taxes because it was that money was filled in with federal funding instead on his part, that it wasn't intent. Like, right. I think he, I, I think he tends to be somebody who's smart and malicious. So, <laughs> I think. Yeah. At the very least, I, I think at the very least, we could all agree that somebody should be dragged in front of some sort of public accounting to publicly say on the record in front of the law exactly how you explain how this very clear violation happened. Yeah, yeah. Like like just the fact that it's just like, oh, it's just whatever. Like, you know, like the the way that the press covered it, like Healy says it wasn't malicious. Did she ask someone? Did we know? Is it on the record? Did they swear in front of, so that they could have court consequences if they break, if they lie? And, you know, did, did somebody happen? Like, and why is that the, why is the Boston Globe covering for Baker by saying that, that like, oh, everything's fine? Because that's the implication of this is just like, don't worry about it, but we should all worry about it. <laughs> it's, I also just love the like, oh, how did Charlie Baker, wonderful manager, miss this? I don't know. Maybe it's either because he has garbage management skills, which we already know. <laughs> or he intended, like, despite the fact that the press always yeah. loves to, like, listen to him and re- listen to his own, like, self-congratulatory praise and say otherwise. Or he intended it. Or perhaps... Or both. both. There you go. Like, or both, but ha- yeah. But it has to be one <laughs> or the other, rather than, like, huh. Right. Imagine. Right. So yeah. uh, I think the other thing in the, in, the, um, in the Senate bill that's disappointing, to say the least is something that also happened in Healy's package and the House package. Mm-hmm. And it's I think the reason is that it's a program that, again, um, people don't understand. And mm-hmm. it sounds good because fundamentally it fits into the racist narratives that a lot of our legislators have about the sort of cities and places that I actually live in. So mm-hmm. this is a program in Gal- Ken called HDIP. And it they have increased it from $10 million to $57 million dollars. Um, so what that what HDIP does is it gentrifies black and brown and poor, poor cities across the state. That's simply what it does. It says 
that the that the Fed, that the state government will give you a tax write off if you create market rate housing. Mm-hmm. But market rate housing in every single city in the state of in the state of uh, Massachusetts, because market rate is not for the city, it's for the area around it. On top of that, most market rate housing is already not affordable. See anybody who's tried to rent. <laughs> I'm curious, like, why do they need to incentivize anybody to create market rate housing? I mean, this is the whole problem in any city. What you have is you have these, like, you must create like 15 or 20% affordable housing with your market rate housing. And all they want to do is create 100% market rate housing. So why is there a need for this incentivizing? And this subsidizes the market rate and not the affordable side of it. That's crazy. And, and I think the important thing to note is that you can only understand this if you if you understand racism, mm. right? Because fundamentally what they're saying is no one would want to live or build in poor in poor Fall River, in poor those those poor, dumb, un, you know, brown and black people in New Bedford, in Worcester, in Springfield. The only way any developer and cue in here white developer white man they have mm. you know they're not saying it but in their minds that's mm-hmm. what they're picturing yeah. would would be willing to spend their money to develop in these terrible places and do so in a way that's not affordable because again they look down on affordable housing they don't see affordable housing as just housing that's able for regular people to live in they see it as like you know the poor live there which is again not true because most of the most of the housing is unaffordable so affordable housing just means affordable for everyone right like i just want to be clear that like most of the time it's just people live there the people who live there now currently are trying to get into this housing so um you know so it's just fundamentally you know it fundamentally hits racist tropes about our cities about who developers are about who who needs money about why people don't live there or can't develop there. And it misses the reality of all of these things, um, which is that they don't need money to develop. They do need, there is reforms that are, I think are needed. There's certainly zoning reforms that are needed. There are there are other things that we could be doing to be greener, to be closer to public transportation, right? Like there are reforms for sure, but market rate is not the is not the problem. And this is a program that has, really gentrified are it gentrified quickly it's gentrifying my neighborhood like just to be clear about what we're talking about i live in a poor part of worcester it's gentrifying this part of worcester it is pushing people out it is raising rents in my community and in communities like mine around the state and it's a real problem and it's a really crappy program and if they want to increase um people building i'm for like let's let's subsidize let's subsidize it but let's subsidize not market rate housing, below market rate housing, and family housing, mm. two, three, four housing, right? So that people can live because there's plenty of single family, single rooms being built. That's the other thing. Is this also is subsidizing a lot of single, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, and like that's great. I don't think it should be a mixture. It shouldn't be just one or the other. We should try to house everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know today we don't have too much time. If we can, um, first of all, I'm going to say you don't hear this news anywhere else. You don't hear, you're not going to hear the analysis that we do. So please, it would be amazing. Instead of getting an extra cup of coffee, go ahead and put that down. Um, look right below. You'll see a little donation link. You can say, 
one cup of coffee a week. I'm going to donate to Incorruptible Mess podcast. Um, and that really helps us get the word out. It helps us reach more ears. It helps us make sure that our amazing young women, graphic designers, and, you know, other artists and editors um, are able to get paid. Um, and, uh, and so with that being said, thank you so much for everyone who has already donated. And to those of you who have not yet, now today is your opportunity. Um, I am going to go ahead um, and have Jordan jump in next. If you want to go ahead and, oh, um, Jonathan. Jonathan, next. thank yeah. you very much. I just wanted to quickly tag in yes. one more thing, talking about the Senate's tax package before and then and then switch over. So one thing that is good. So like I noted before, that the fact that they scrapped the short-term capital gains tax, that is a positive that they didn't include one corporate tax giveaway that the house did was a positive. There are cut to the, like, I'd begin by saying we don't need to cut the estate tax at all, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, but there's as much, there is notably less expensive, uh, which is good. Whereas the the Senate's estate tax cut was 180, is $185 million compared to $275 million of Healy's proposal and $231 million of the house. Healy wanted to, wanted to, raise the kind of threshold for the state tax to $3 million. Um, whereas the House and Senate both did $2 million, but the House did so in a way that would give the highest, give larger estates, larger tax cuts. Mm. Whereas the, whereas the Senate did it away so that like all states above $2 million get the same cut. So that like, I don't think any estate over $2 million needs to get, needs to get a cut. But I'd rather them get a smaller, if we're debating between them, I'd rather be the smaller one rather than the larger one. Uh, so that the kind of the main hope would be at least in the points where the Senate is better once they go to a conference committee uh, to, to hash out final, final uh, details that the Senate holds the line, particularly because their total package, tax package is smaller. It's about $586 million compared to the billion dollars of the other two. So the other thing that the Senate does well is the earned income tax credit, which is a policy that that puts money in the hands of poor folks at the at the real margins, really, really margins. It's mind blowing that people are trying to survive on this mm. little money in this state. Um, and so um, this is a really good program. I'm glad it got it got, it got an addition. Um, it is the only tax cut that makes sense. It is the only tax cut that makes sense. I want to say that again. Um, there has been a lot of push in the media um, to to sort of, um, you know, to mainstream tax, um, you know, tax extremists, people who don't believe in any taxation whatsoever, the Max Tax Policy Foundation. These are, you know, right wing organizations that are extremists um, and they get mainstreamed. And meanwhile, um, you know, and they get and they, there's a big push for tax cuts. And I just want to say again that progressives don't want tax cuts. We want investments in the things that makes sense because we know from data that that is a better use of money. So yes, the Senate does have money for childcare. It does have money for rental reductions, but those are not good investments. They are bad investments. They are just better uses of money than tax cuts for rich people. Mm -hmm. So I think that they are right. Like, let's be clear. We could use that money to really invest in a credible, affordable um, childcare system, which is what we should do. And we should, yeah tax rich people more to pay for it, not lower taxes. We should have a credible system of helping people with rental assistance. We should, and we should tax people, we should tax corporations and tax rich people more to pay for that. We should tax 
um, we should tax uh, uh, sort of sales of homes and other things that are driving the cost up and use that money to make it more affordable to rent. That's what we should be doing. And I just want to say that clearly because that's not the coverage that's getting put out there about these packages. Yeah. Just one, just one quick thing to tag on that that I think is always important to understand. I think uh, is how kind of tax credits and tax deductions are always individualized solutions to collective problems. That it's so, where like the government tries to engineer certain things on the back end to incur whether it's encouraging better behavior or incentivizing certain outcomes when those actually need to be actually be intentional built into policies and programs to help help everyone rather than just try to like jerry rig a system on the back end. Yep. And these are policies and programs that have been done in other countries for decades, many, many decades. So this is nothing crazy. This is nothing new. This is something there's lots of research and studies, if you believe in science, <laughs> that prove that these <laughs> things actually benefit society and reduce inequality and give people good lives and um, make people happier. And these are, you know, and I think it's important because it's not that there's not, it's not real money for people, but it's a drop in the bucket to solve the problem. And so while on one side, you're doing nothing really. In fact, if anything, you are increasing the likelihood that rates will skyrate by giving money to, to developers for market rate housing. So you're mm -hmm. going to increase rents and then you're going to give people pennies on the bottom, individualize it, as, as Jonathan said. That's a problem that makes it worse. And I just want to say that clearly because I don't, again, it's just really lacking that type of coverage to understand that, that this is not a solution. It is a drop in the bucket. Do people need that drop? Yeah, because every little bit helps, but every little bit helps because you're failing them to address these real issues. And in some ways making it worse. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, we always uh, love chatting with people. We love all the questions that we get. Um, so please send them in. Uh, and we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Hey! <laughs>